Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, October 23rd. I am Aranza Luisaga, and these are today's headlines. President Trump this morning announcing that he's lifting all sanctions against Turkey, suggesting others should fight over Syria. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, a respected career diplomat testifying before House investigators for more than nine hours, revealing explicit details of a quid pro quo effort. And undocumented construction workers who survived the partial building collapse at a New Orleans hotel earlier this month are now living in fear of being deported. This and much more today on You News, recorded live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin today on Capitol Hill, an explosive hearing on Tuesday. The U.S. ambassador to Ukraine testifying against the will of the State Department and shocking lawmakers with what he had to say. It is by far the most incriminating testimony that Congress has heard in its impeachment inquiry against the president. Lorraine Casares has all of the latest details. Deputy Assistant Defense Secretary Laura Cooper is the next person on the list to face Congress and answer questions on the impeachment inquiry. She arrived Wednesday on Capitol Hill expected to give details on why the Pentagon held the aid from Ukraine. But it's Ambassador Bill Taylor's testimony on Tuesday that is making headlines. People in the room say there are gasps and sighs as he told lawmakers about eight different instances in which the president demanded pressure be put on Ukraine until they agreed to investigate the Bidens. You could uh, hear a pin drop, literally, uh, as the ambassador uh, has laid out in his opening statement. This is the, my most disturbing day in Congress so far. Very troubling. Taylor's opening statement lasting one hour. He told Democrats that for weeks nobody would give him a reason for why much-needed military aid for Ukraine was being held up. He provided a clear timeline of events based on detailed notes he kept of his communications, saying he shared those notes with the State Department, which is now refusing to give them to congressional investigators. He's filling in some gaps. He's sharing with us in a pretty candid way and you know, his experience. According to Taylor, Trump wanted the Ukrainian president to announce the investigation publicly. And during a conversation with the EU ambassador, Gordon Sondland told Taylor, when a businessman is about to sign a check to someone who owes him something, the businessman asks that person to pay up before signing the check. Bill Taylor telling lawmakers Ambassador Sondland also told me that he now recognized that he made a mistake by earlier telling the Ukrainian officials to whom he spoke that a White House meeting with President Zelensky was dependent on public announcement of investigations. In fact, Ambassador Sondland said everything was dependent on such an announcement, including security assistance. Taylor made clear he disagreed with the tactic, and the next day he texted Sondland saying the idea of withholding aid for a favor was, quote, crazy. The White House slammed Taylor's testimony as a, quote, smear campaign, saying in a statement, today was just more triple hearsay and selective leaks from the Democrats' politically motivated closed-door secretive hearings. Some Republicans familiar with the testimony saying they didn't hear anything incriminating, while others say they need to hear from more people. I've been in there for 10 hours. I can assure you there was no quid pro quo. 
There's a lot of questions that this brings up, and, and it means more people have probably got to come back in and, and re-answer some questions. I think it shows that we need to talk to Mayor Giuliani about his activity in, in that region. Um, and, and this is, you know, ultimately, uh, there's a question about how uh, diplomacy should be conducted. And, and having an informal channel is not a good way of, of doing that. A few weeks ago, the president said Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell told him the call with Ukraine seemed perfect and innocent. On Tuesday, reporters asked McConnell to confirm that. McConnell said he did not remember that conversation. Aranza, back to you. Lorraine, thank you so much for this information. And let's go to political science professor Charles Selden of Nova Southeastern University. Professor, thank you for joining us. So, Professor, in his preparing remarks, Acting Ambassador Bill Taylor said... He was told that, quote, everything, unquote, Ukraine wanted would depend on the public announcement of the investigations. Is that the smoking gun that the House Democrats are looking for? Well, they didn't actually need a smoking gun. Merely the request is enough for impeachment. But what this shows is there really was a, 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 an attempt to get a, a dirty deal done, to force uh, improper actions. And yes, that does make this into a smoking gun. So that means that there is, in fact, quid pro quo, which is, you know, an investigation in exchange for the aid. Yes. Uh, essentially, the, the president up front had said the best thing for us to do was not to support the Ukraine. That's policy. But doing it with with uh, behind the scenes and doing it in return for a favor that takes it into the realm of improper action and, in fact, potentially criminal conspiracy. Professor, Republicans continue defending the president. They stormed a hearing room where Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Laura Cooper was testifying uh, today. And yesterday, North Carolina Representative Mark Meadows said there was no quid pro quo in Taylor's testimony, just to name a few examples. How long can they go on defending the president without hurting themselves? Well, it, it, with some voters, they've already hurt themselves, probably past the point of, of fixing. With other voters, quite a ways. Uh, essentially, what will happen is the Republicans will be backing the president fully until they don't anymore. And when that point happens, it'll happen quick. What we don't know is when that's going to happen. Um, I, really, if you want to get a feel for it, look at what the polls say about Republican support for impeachment. Now, Republicans have also insisted that there could not have been a quid pro quo because Ukrainians didn't know the assistance had been blocked. But according to the New York Times, high-level Ukrainian officials knew about it by the first week of August. What other pieces of information are Democrats going to be looking for now? For um, confirmation of all of these points. Ideally, what you want is not one person saying this happened, but three or four who confirmed that it happened. In addition to which, uh, they're, they're going to look for evidence that uh, the people involved knew what they were doing was wrong or inappropriate or something to hide, and that they were doing that intentionally to hide it because if they did it in the open, this would not be well received and possibly would not be legal. So uh, what they're looking for is to build a case around what they already have. They've got the evidence of wrongdoing. What they're doing now is trying to show that that wrongdoing was widespread and many people knew of it 
and we can bring up three, four people to to show this bad act happened or this wrong act happened. And, and that's how you build a case. So talking about many people involved, former National Security Advisor John Bolton came up again during Ambassador Taylor's testimony. According to Taylor, Bolton was disturbed by President Trump's demands. Are we expecting to hear his testimony anytime soon? Uh, I'm I, I simple answer. Yes. If he shows up, there's no reason to think he wouldn't show up. Uh, but uh, he also seems to be pitching a book idea and he may want to leave it for that. Uh, ultimately, uh, he is a, a free player. He is no longer part of the administration. And if he feels it's appropriate to, to speak out and the, the uh, subpoena is there, he'll be there and explain what he did and why and his observations. And ultimately, it's less what he did or didn't do than what he observed that's going to be damning to the president. Thank you, Professor Charles Elden, for your insights, and we'll be talking soon. Meanwhile, in New York, two men who have served as Rudy Giuliani's conduit to Ukraine were arraigned in Manhattan federal court. The two pleaded not guilty to accusations. They funneled foreign money to U.S. campaign coffers. Igor Fruman and Lev Parnas were indicted earlier this month on four counts, including conspiracy to violate the ban on foreign donations to federal and state elections, making false statements and falsifying records to the Federal Election Commission. These two men are linked closely with Giuliani, President Trump's personal attorney, and for months have aided Giuliani's effort to compile negative information on Trump's political rival Joe Biden and his son. And Susan Rice, who served as national security advisor during the Obama administration, referred to Senator Lindsey Graham as a piece of expellative during the taping of an episode of the podcast Pod Saves the World this week. She made the remarks after Senator Graham defended President Trump's use of the word lynching to describe the impeachment investigation. That term is associated with the extrajudicial killings of almost 3,500 Americans African-Americans in this country. Graham's office has not reacted to the comment. Now, President Trump ordered today that all sanctions on Turkey be lifted, since, according to him, the Turkish president has agreed to a permanent ceasefire along the Syrian-Turkish border. He also said that a small number of U.S. troops will remain in Syria to protect the oil. This as Russia moves in to the conflict area to patrol the territory where former U.S. allies, the Kurds, are settled. Pablo Gato has the details. President Trump lifted the economic sanctions to Turkey and expressed optimism about the situation. That only a couple of weeks ago was scorned, and now people are saying, wow, what a great outcome. Congratulations. It's too early to me to be congratulated but we've done a good job. But many are calling it anything but a success. Since Turkey invaded northern Syria, several hundred ISIS fighters have escaped from prison. U.S. troops have withdrawn from the area and America has lost influence in the region, say the Democrats. And as Americans leave, Russians are taking over. This after Russia and Turkey reached an agreement allowing Russian troops and the Syrian regime to patrol the border between Syria and Turkey an area previously controlled by the U.S. and the Kurds. 
Now the Kurds have been urged to leave or suffer Turkey's military retaliation. We have a small group uh, there and we've secured the oil. Other than that, there's no reason for it, in our opinion. And again, the Kurds are going to be watching. We're working with the Kurds. We have a good relationship with the Kurds. But we never agreed to, you know, protect the Kurds. We fought with them for three and a half to four years. We never agreed to protect the Kurds for the rest of their lives. Critics of President Trump say that the clear winner is Russia, which is elevating its role in the Middle East and the Syrian regime that now controls more of its territory. They had lost it during the civil war. The president has failed to articulate any strategy at all. We have asked to have Secretary Pompeo, Secretary Esper, Director Haspel come before us. They've canceled again today because they don't have a plan. Now this is America at risk. Highlighting the sudden nature of the withdrawal, James Jeffrey, the U.S. envoy to the international coalition fighting ISIS, told the Senate Foreign Relations Committee yesterday that he was not given prior notice of President Trump's decision to pull American troops from the area. And were you consulted before the decision was made to withdraw our troops? I was consulted on the uh, framework of that call, the points that the president was going to make and such. The specific decision to withdraw troops has been a long-standing debate within the administration going back to early 2018. But, but were you uh, advised about the decision to withdraw all of our troops following that Erdogan call? That specific decision I was not in advance. Russia has at least 4,000 military personnel stationed in Syria and also at least 60 warplanes and helicopters. This is all for the moment. Back to you in the studios. Pablo, thank you very much for this information. And meanwhile, Defense Secretary Mark Esper arrived in Iraq for talks amid an apparent disagreement over whether U.S. troops withdrawing from northeastern Syria could now stay in Iraq. Iraq's defense minister said today after the meeting that U.S. troops leaving Syria are only transiting through Iraq territory and will depart within four weeks. Now to New Orleans, where undocumented construction workers who survived to the partial building collapse at a hotel earlier this month. They are now living in fear of being deported. And although lawyers are trying to help, most of the workers would rather stay silent to avoid losing their jobs or their life here in the United States. Here's Nidia Cavazos. The scars from the accident are very present for those who managed to survive. Just two days before the building under construction collapsed at a New Orleans Hard Rock Hotel, this video was recorded by several workers. Showing the structural damage. Keeping their identity hidden, several of them told Univision that they reported the problem more than once. Without previous inspection, the implosion of the cranes had already been completed. And as they wait for the planned demolition of the entire structure, many of the mostly Hispanic workers are scared of ending up in immigration court. That's already what happened to Delmer Ramirez, who was arrested only 48 hours after the accident. Under circumstances, he finds suspicious, as he explains from a detention center. It is very strange that in such short time, immigration officers showed up in less than two minutes. He says police took him away without explanation while he was fishing. 
When he showed his fishing license, an immigration agent immediately appeared. He is now in ICE custody and, according to him, suffering the consequences from the accident. I've been afraid of receiving medical care because here they don't care if you're dying. Here, the people suffer. That's why some of the workers prefer to stay quiet and not seek legal help, as this lawyer, who is assisting five of the injured workers, explains. Biggest fear is um, their status, their immigration status. Delmar's wife collaborates with the investigation while assuming her new role as the head of the household, which includes taking care of her son, who is diagnosed with autism and doesn't want to stay home without his father. He is depressed, does not want to talk much, does not want to eat either. Reported by Eli Angelica Gonzalez for U News. Now let's head to New York. A shocking new report from the city is highlighting the close relationship between domestic violence and homelessness. Blanca Rosa Vilches digs into some of the staggering figures. A New York City Comptroller's report coincides with Domestic Awareness Month around the country. It reveals that in New York City, domestic violence is the main reason why families move into the city's homeless shelters and the underlying statistics are alarming. Last year, domestic violence represented 41% of people looking for a public shelter in New York City. Since 2014, the number of homeless families entering the system annually has increased by 44%. Only last year, 12,541 people moved into a shelter in New York City because of domestic violence. That number includes more than 4,500 women, 7,000 children, and more than half of the children were under six years old. If we don't stop this, our children are going to suffer as much as we do, says this mother who is a survivor of domestic violence. That's why the city's controller is asking for more support services for the homeless and the extension of housing services and legal assistance for women who ended up homeless just because they were trying to escape from violence. Four out of ten families in the shelters in New York are because of domestic violence. It is the leading cause of a very persistent problem in the city. In New York, Blanca Rosa Vilches, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. U News, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. Netflix wants to prevent customers from sharing accounts and trading passwords. Right now, the cost of a basic plan is $8.99 per month, which allows a user to stream on a single screen at a time. 
Other slightly more expensive plans allow users to watch on additional screens. But according to a survey done for CNBC, nearly 10% of Netflix users do not pay for the Netflix accounts they use. Netflix has the ability to end an account or put it on hold at any time to prevent fraudulent actions. In other business news, Boeing says it's replacing the head of its commercial airplanes division as it struggles in the wake of those deadly 737 MAX disasters. This just days after international communications showed a test pilot experienced serious problems while testing the flight control software. And office share leader WeWork has reached an agreement to be taken over by SoftBank Group with a rescue package of $8 billion. Yes, with B, billion dollars. The deal would buy out some earlier investors and shareholders and dilute the stake of former CEO Adam Newman. Newman will step down from WeWork's board of directors but retain a stake in the company reportedly worth $2 billion. Meanwhile, 2,000 employees who were set to be laid off are now in limbo, as the company reportedly doesn't have the money to pay out those severances. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then... 